Hey, Greg. Hey, Andrew. It's November 6, 2017. What the heck are you into? Well, I just, since we last talked, I read an entire book. No. An entire big boy chapter book. <laughs> uh, no pictures or nothing. Well, I guess I wouldn't know if it had pictures because I listened to the audio book, which still counts. But I finished uh, The City and the City by China Meaville. And um, I really, really, really enjoyed it. I had an opportunity. I have been, I've been spending a lot of time in the car over the last week, uh, week and a half. Um, driving down to uh, Virginia and uh, Virginia and Maryland for work, and to you know get all situated on our new living situation down there, and um, so I've spent a lot of time in the car, which means a lot of time to kind of plow through this audiobook. But it's interesting because when we first were talking about it, you and I, this was not on the podcast. This was just you know kind of you and I just talking like normal humans. Um, I was about halfway in, and I wasn't sure if this was a fantasy book a sci-fi book or just kind of weird fiction. Um, and I'm still not entirely sure, <laughs> but because last time we, on our last episode, we talked about fantasy settings and this book is all about its setting. It is about two cities. Well, no, well, yes and no, a city or two cities that is in Eastern Europe, but it takes place in our world essentially, in our current time. So you'll hear references in the book to like, you know, like Chuck Palahniuk comes up uh, just as a reference of like, oh, he wrote a book about this this weird city. Um, or you hear things about how you hear things about Google and um, real life, you know, universities in the real world and movies that, you know, are kind of contemporary. And but so all that is true, but the city slash cities that this takes place in are completely fictional. They're in Eastern Europe and it's two cities, uh, Bejel and Olkoma, that are two distinct political and legal entities, yet they occupy the same physical space. So you essentially have two cities that are kind of overlaid onto each other and they don't have physical borders in the way that, you know, cities we might know have physical borders. You could be a citizen of Olkoma. Ike would be a citizen of Bejel. And in my entire life growing up in the city, I have trained myself to, quote, unsee you as a citizen of the other city, where I kind of, I notice you and then forget that I saw you. I mean, I'm kind of consciously ignoring you and you're consciously ignoring me. And I'm consciously ignoring the buildings that are in your city, even though they might be literally next door to a building in my city. And I can tell by the subtle differences in architecture and all these things. And it's, and there are laws in place that say, like, if you lived next door to me and we were friends and I lived in one city and you lived in the other, if I wanted to visit, visit you, even though you live next door, I would have to leave my home, travel all the way to this one particular building that exists in both cities and essentially go through a border crossing go in through one door, go through a border crossing within the city, come out the other door, walk back and go to your house. And if I did it any other way, I would be instantly apprehended by a mysterious organization called Breach, which may or may not be supernatural or extraterrestrial in origin. And so that's the setting, which is it's kind of a fantasy setting, but it's also kind of a sci-fi thought experiment setting. Um, and then the plot unfolds like kind of a police procedural, basically a woman turns up dead in Bejel and it appears that she was murdered in Olkoma and we follow a detective as he tries to get to the bottom of this and um, reveal all kinds of startling truths about the nature of these cities. And maybe there's actually a third city that's also a part of this that, um, you know, that the Bej citizens think is in Olkoma and the Olkoma citizens think is in Bejel, but it's, uh, it's, 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 it's incredibly good. Um, the way that the world is built and the way that this incredibly kind of abstract concept of these two cities that occupy the same space and their, their borders are perceptual, not physical. Um, he does such a good job of like bringing you into that world and by the, midway through the book you're kind of thinking in the way that the other characters are and you realize like you know oh no he's got to go all the way over to the other city and you 
and your brain has been tricked into thinking that that really is miles and miles and miles in a border crossing away, whereas it's really 10 feet. Um, but it's really excellent. Um, I'm still not sure what genre it is, but uh, it's really, really, really good. And when we were talking, I was like, oh, I see what he's doing here. This is how this is all a metaphor for class and how we're trained to ignore class to be manipulated by uh, other higher powers. And he kind of tricks you a little bit there, too, that maybe, you know, you're kind of like, I see where you're going with this, you commie pinko. And then he kind of twists it on you again. Um, and it's excellent. Excellent. That sounds great. Uh how did, how did Charlotte enjoy the book? <laughs> Since she probably listened to all of it too, right? No, actually, all of this time in the car was solo because it was oh. all, uh, you know, and I, I don't I don't force Karen to listen to my audiobooks in the car. I wouldn't subject someone to that because I listen to them at like double speed and like just jump in in the middle of this like <laughs> really, really obscure, like uh, difficult to understand um, thing. And, it, and, and, it's, and it's written in such a way that, you know, you, you get the sense that it's, even though you're reading it in English, the narrator, who's the, the, also the main character, makes a, you know points out that he's thinking in his native language. And like there are times where he says, like, you know, um, I, he was talking to another police officer and said, "Put out a," and I only knew how to say it in English, "APB" on the guy. And like you know, you realize that they're living in another culture and another language, and all these little touches of like Eastern Europe, of like you know, they have the cheap cell phones from. 10 years ago and they know it <laughs> um, <laughs> and like they know that their cars are like the cast offs of other you know um, and just how that's kind of just part of the backdrop it's really really good highly recommended interesting I have made uh, very little progress into Perdido Station because I just haven't been I've been like just like laying down and going right to sleep at night instead of reading for hours so that's oh, setting me back man. <laughs> uh, I had to briefly uh, talk about something to 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 that I've been into because I can't not tell you about it. And I want to see if you've listened to it or not. Uh, have you listened to the podcast? My dad wrote a porno. No. <laughs> so Shay reached out to the internet and asked for some recommendations on audiobooks and podcasts. And she started listening to this one on someone's recommendation and then told me you have to listen to this podcast. And it is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> uh, it is. Um, I think that they're not celebrities, but maybe do something in some sort of, bbc capacity over in in jolly old england your favorite um mm -hmm. so the fact that everyone has british accents makes it even better but the main the main person and his two friends a male and a female uh he reads his dad's porno self-published oh, erotic literature uh novel called belinda blinks and then they you know just basically read a chapter per episode and commentate on it and it is one of those like I really should listen to it in the car because I'm laughing so hard that I might <laughs> cause an accident. It is so funny. I mean, it is what? obviously uh, not for kiddos. And, sure. you know, it is a 60-year-old man's erotic fantasy novel. So you can imagine it's got some pretty crude things in it. But uh, God, is it funny. And <laughs> I think with all your driving, you can mix up some, you know, Kami Pinko fantasy with 20 minutes of listening to some dude's dad's. <laughs> disgusting thoughts <laughs> oh god all right well no i i i uh maybe i will we've got a big drive coming up this week uh and uh i think karen would also uh find this very funny because all right, maybe maybe i'll cue it up <laughs> it's very funny so okay so we all know what we're here to talk about right yes justice saw... league yeah, i mean yeah. thor thank god it's thor not justice league we got a couple <laughs> more weeks for that <sighs> yeah so we saw thor ragnarok we did. And uh, I think we're going to do the thing where we try to predict what each other thought of the movie. Always. Um, so let's see. I think I predicted you first last time. So I think it's your turn to predict what you think I thought about this movie. Uh, Greg, when to see this, not being a particularly big fan of the last two Thors and not really liking Thor as a character in the MCU all that much to begin with. Uh, although liking the character of Thor kind of in general not like his favorite but uh you know relative interest because weird jack kirby shit <laughs> uh and i think that you love this movie i think that you thought it nailed the humor that it had great visuals that it made the goofy you know made it goofy in a really great way that it's sort of what you're looking for in a superhero movie didn't get too it wasn't overwrought or over dramatic it was concise it was a lot of fun and i just thought you probably just kicked back and had a great time Without, without right. much to complain about. That's my prediction. Okay. And 
Let's see. What did you think about this movie? I think you like your prediction for me. Overall, high marks. Um, funny, fun, but also had enough of the good old-fashioned superhero hijinks to make it feel like a superhero movie and not just a comedy that happened to have a lightning man in it. But I would, th- I think you probably felt like it was a little thin on some of the world building aspects. Like, I feel like you probably wanted to know a little bit more about, was it Sarkar? What was the name of the planet? Sakar. Sakar. Yeah. About how Sakar worked and also that bringing, you know, this, this third Odin son sibling in kind of out of nowhere that no one had mentioned before. Um, and all these, you know, kind of new rules about how Asgard works. You were probably like, Meh, that feels a little contrived. Okay. Uh, who goes first now? So I guess, um, yeah. So your prediction for, for me, pretty much spot on. Uh, I don't know. Um, you were right. You know, I, I haven't, I, I didn't see the second Thor movie and the first one was a little, little rough. Um, although, surprisingly or not surprisingly but uh, serendipitously i happened to see this in the same theater where you and i saw the first thor movie oh yeah i saw it uh i saw it at regal down there in lancaster that was many years ago isn't it (laughs) yeah they've really revamped that place they've got the reclining seats and the reserved seating now it's it's not the old crap shack it used to be yeah i think that was my second time seeing because i think i saw it I saw what the first Thor was the only movie I ever seen in 3D IMAX because I really wanted to see it in IMAX and 3D was the only option. And I was like, all right, well, I'm never doing this again ever in my life because that was (laughs) a worse, terrible experience. So I went and saw it again because I didn't I wanted to actually experience it. And I enjoyed it a lot more the second time. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. Uh, So, yeah. So I, you know, and I do think that Thor has been kind of underdeveloped and underused in the larger Marvel cinematic universe but i think that they figured out thor for this movie like i have been asking for a long time for a superhero uh, movie about a superhero who who enjoys what he does and enjoys being a superhero and has fun with it and it fully embraces his role as a hero and thor is doing that from frame one of this movie just like reveling in what it means to be a hero and say like the, you know, in the kind of the callback line of, cause that's what heroes do. Like it's uh, yeah. I have very few complaints. How'd I do with, with my prediction for you? Uh, you, I, okay. So it would be objectively wrong to say that this is in any way a bad movie. This is a, <laughs> this is a great movie. Correct. Uh, the humor was great. I love the development of the Hulk. I mean, nearly all the characters were really awesome. We get Pete Goldblum in there just being a freaking weirdo. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, great visuals. The soundtrack was cool. I liked how they disguised the marketing when it came to some of the sp- more spoilery things, you know, like, yeah, spoiler alert, like Thor losing an eye. And, you know, it's just kind of nice that like that's not ruined by the movie. Like there's a shot that you can see in the trailers of him jumping down on the bridge, all electrified. And in the movie at this point, he's lost an eye and but in the trailers, they just CGI'd it. So it, or they probably didn't CGI it or whatever. So that wasn't spoiled. I like that. Um, they said they did the same thing for Infinity War because there's clips of him in Infinity War. They said just we just didn't put the CGI eye in because, you know, it's all going to tie together. So huh. um, the, you know, and then they said this, but it's very obvious that clearly like improv ad lib nature of a lot of the humor and dialogue is something I really, really like and enjoy. Uh, and I think I think Hemsworth is a, is a comedic gem. I think his delivery is great. Uh, he really play and he can really lay into that Thor is a goofy character and he's a goofy meathead, but knows how to play that off and be really funny. However, <laughs> OK, let's hear your complaints, because I have a couple of this isn't really what I wanted. Really? Uh, don't be wrong. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. I laughed a lot. It's really funny. I actually, that's where your prediction was wrong. To me, this movie is just a comedy. It is huh. so thin on everything else that I've come to expect from the Marvel movies that to me, it felt like the first Guardians without any of the heart. And huh. this is coming from someone who doesn't hate the first Thor movie and doesn't even hate the second Thor movie. I will not say they're, they're probably some of the weaker outings of the MCU for sure. Um, but 
I think that while I like the move to make Thor a little more, you know, like you said, into what he does and a, a hero in, in with a capital H and just into that, um, I felt that there was a little bit of a, a character assassination here hmm. because this movie didn't have any heart. That's this movie point. didn't have any stakes. I didn't care that Asgard fucking blew up or yeah, that fair point or that that warrior three died or that Odin died for no. Like, why do we know why <laughs> Odin died? Like, I mean, it's weird because it it really I don't know, like your point about the world building, you know, is is along these lines. But I didn't really care how Sakaar worked. It was like, eh, it's just a wacky planet. There's lots of wacky planets out there. It's weird. It's fine. Um, but more just stuff that would seem more crucial to the plot, like. Why is Odin dying? Why did, did is Loki responsible for Odin dying? Is he not? Uh, is this is this like another Odin sleep? What's how's this all fit together? You know, I thought it was, and I thought that so not only those things, I could probably even get away with that, but I also think that it made for some sloppy and or not sloppy but unfortunate results. Uh, essentially, I felt like it eliminated all the things that it really didn't know what to do with or didn't care about like the warriors three and Odin and anything that didn't really fit in the plot anymore. Yeah. They wanted to, they wanted to do Uh, like Hela was really cool. Like Kate Mm -hmm. Blanchett played a really cool villain. And I felt like, okay, we barely got to see her because this movie was a comedy. Like, I I mean, I just didn't really, I wasn't intimidated by her as the movie went along because everything was just a big joke to Thor, even though all his best friends just died and his dad just died. And, I don't know. I just, I mean, don't get wrong. This is a really awesome movie, but yeah. No, I think those are fair complaints. And I I think you're right. They did kind of gloss over some things of like, they just wanted to streamline it down to a buddy comedy between with Thor and Hulk. Um, And in the process, like you say, like cut out some things that maybe Thor should have had that should have hit with a little bit more weight. That's fair. Um, I love, I think, I mean, I think, you know, goth Galadriel made a, you know, an, she was Kate Blanchett did such a great job of just knowing full on like how to be a kind of scenery chewing villain without being too over the top, still being interesting. Um, I wish I'd had a little bit more motivation from her above and beyond just kind of like, Oh, I, I, I want to rule Asgard, but I'm going to be mean. Like, you know, like it just kind of felt a little bit too, obvious and easy and dumb um and i do think that you're right like the stakes and even just the stakes of like how destructible slash indestructible is thor like when thor is fighting hella how worried should i be because he seems pretty indestructible when he's fighting hulk and we don't really have a sense of and then we see odin die but he just kind of like turns into fireflies and that's that but we don't really know how it works so yeah the stakes aren't quite there and it didn't do a great job of making me care about Asgard either. Um, and as funny and as neat as well, of the little cameos of the little like Thor Loki play on Asgard. And then, you know, when you first kind of see Asgard again and there's uh, Scourge. Um, and also, hey, is Carl Urban in every movie? Yeah, because he's every awesome. sci-fi fantasy <laughs> action movie. Um, but anyway, yeah, you see him. And, like, already I get the impression, like, just from what I'm seeing of Asgard early in the movie, that it's kind of a shitty place. Like, everybody there is kind of a jerk, and it's all <laughs> kind of frivolous and, and, and you know, crappy. And then when I see more of it, when Heimdall is running around doing his little resistance thing, it just looks like cast-off Middle-Earth sets, and it's just kind of hard to care. Yeah, and, you know, I, I wish I should have rewatched the second. I've seen the first Thor movie a number of times, but I haven't. I think I've only seen the second one maybe once, maybe twice. And that movie has a lot of problems. And I completely understand and agree that, you know, they want to try something different, want to move on to something else, um, change things up a little bit, because clearly those those that style wasn't working. However, I think that there was some there's some weight and some meat to parts of those that are really good. And I don't I mean, some people complain about Hemsworth acting in those movies. I don't really notice that. I think there's other people who are phoning in a little more. Anthony Hopkins, uh, maybe Natalie Boardman. But. The, the biggest one of the one of my favorite threads of the Marvel unit Marvel Cinematic Universe is the as like most people's is, is the Thor Loki dynamic. I just mm-hmm. feel like that was a little glossed over here, too. Like, yeah, in the second one, that was what made that movie in any way good was like their relationship and their dynamic. And they, you know, it's fun to see them having fun together on the on film. But 
Like, you weren't really sure, like, did they plan for him to come back? Was this all, like, a switcheroo? Like, you know, after after Thor leaves him, and he's like, oh, you're late. And it's like, well, wait, what? Like, he should be a little madder at Loki, I think. Like, it, it should be... He was a little too easy to forgive, I think. It kind of made... And that's why I think the character assassination comes in, because it makes, makes it look like Thor doesn't care. And I think Thor does care. He can still have fun and be fun and be a funny guy. But I think he, I think at the moments when he needs to care, he should care, because he's yeah, not... He, it just kind of came off weird. And, and in other movies, I wouldn't even say it's like, oh, it's his acting. It's like, no, in other movies, he cares. Like, I've seen yeah, it. He's a little bit of a sociopath yeah. in this movie. Um, and I think that's because it's funny when he is, but I think they kind of forgot to keep in the humanizing pieces of it. Um, and I, I also have a complaint of, and again, just kind of like the dropped plot threads of, we have all this setup of like, okay, if Bruce Banner becomes the Hulk again, He's going to like be stuck as the Hulk for some reason. Like they just kind of say that and we're just, we take it as like, all right, that's the way it's going to work, I guess. And then he finally decides to become the Hulk again to fight the big wolf. And, but like, we never address the consequences of that. Like, oh, wait, is he the Hulk forever now? And if that's the case, shouldn't we have had more of a send off for Bruce Banner? And what happened there? Like, it just kind of seemed like, oh, nope, nope, got to get to the end. I know we said that this transformation mattered, but uh, we ran out of time. So did, let's let's get on the spaceship and have some jokes. I can't remember. Did he, was he on the spaceship as Bruce Banner or as the Hulk? I think as the Hulk. Okay. I know they said that they said that the next three movies, Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Avengers 4, are basically like a mini Hulk trilogy. So I think we'll get some payoff from that about that. Yeah. But yeah, just, I do think it should have been like, we should even have a scene of, of just like Thor, like, you know, looking at Hulk worriedly or something like that. They just completely ignored it. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that they kind of made Hulk into this, like, and I kind of liked the direction they took him in because he hasn't had a lot of characterization in the other movies, you know, and kind of like, oh no, he's, you know, he's kind of like a giant toddler. Like, um, he's not a total, like rampaging lunatic he just has very bad impulse control and no empathy etc all right okay fine but i feel like there could have been more setup for me to feel like you know like losing bruce banner matters it's like i don't know it's kind of like the other one better he's funny he does jokes um so i feel like that was a little bit underplayed and i think that yeah you could have edited out 30 seconds of improv jokes and given me a little bit more setup and payoff to that story but um relatively minor complaint that um yeah and i i need to cap you know frame my like i'm gonna rewatch the shit of this movie i'm gonna laugh i'm gonna love it i'm gonna be curious to see how it because obviously it's probably has the most lead up to infinity war because i mean barring black panther doing something crazy it hasn't seen that direction that movie that is going um because that's thanos's ship at the end of that movie oh yes thank you and confirm that thank you confirm that and, and the setup of when Loki's in the vault and he stops and does the double take to that one tesseract. Is that the, t- the tesseract and like oh yeah you know he's taking that yeah which means that now Thanos has found him on the ship uh because he wants that tesseract so yeah and and I read something interesting I forget where it was it might have been I9 but they're talking about how or maybe it's just a comment on Reddit but like there's some this movie actually fits very nicely into like the the canon if you will of like the MCU because there's a big question of like well why you know, why has Earth kind of been ignored for so long? And it kind of set up here that like, well, Odin conquered, you know, nine planets, the nine realms, essentially, and then protected them from everyone else. And now Odin is dead and Asgard ah. is destroyed. And therefore Midgard is open for the taking. And because Thanos maybe didn't want to go toe to toe with Odin, even though apparently all you need to do is just he just turns to dust yeah. um, for no reason. Um, also, things like, you know. All right, so so does Thor have the Odin Force now? Is that what he got that makes him all powerful? Or if he was always the hammer? Or is he going to get the hammer back? Does he care? Like, I mean, it doesn't, it seems like minor points, but just seems like, okay, well, is Thor going to be running around being Raiden in the next movie? Is that what's going to yeah. happen? What is, the, what is the state of Thor? And it's funny you say Raiden, because there was a, well, I think when they were fighting on the Rainbow Bridge, he did like a little Raiden style, like, you know, fly through the air vertically and just like wreck dudes. Yeah. Raiden from Mortal Kombat, kids. Yeah. Um, um he's and, a lightning man. <laughs> and there's a lot of really cool like Easter eggs and shout out to things in the canon, you know, and, and definitely 
took from the story. I mean, I'm to, like, I have this wonderful Walt Simonson, you know, Thor hardback here that is near and dear to my heart. And it's also like 400 pounds because it's like 50 issues of comics in one book. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like Scourge's, but like even things like that, like Scourge's Sacrifice felt, which is really cool in the comics and it's really awesome, heartfelt moment. It's just like, oh, okay, well, he sacrificed himself. Yeah. Cool. Oh, he's decided to be a good guy now for some reason. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I just... It, it just felt like they sort of threw the baby out with the bathwater a little bit on some of the stuff from the pre- previous Thor movies and and went in a direction that I think they maybe could have tempered a little bit. Now, I'll say that, also saying that maybe I tend to get a little more emotionally invested in these movies <sighs> than a typical person. So what someone probably just felt was stupid and overwrought, I really connected with. And so therefore, when this comes along, they don't really care that they what they lost because they probably thought it was cheesy and dumb anyway. So that's probably the case. But I don't I mean, I don't I don't know. I think that I think that maybe they've overcorrected a little bit. But I think that this as a reset button on some of the excesses of the recent slate of Marvel movies is good because I think that they have gone they've leaned too hard into like or they were leaning too hard into like daddy issues and inner team conflict and who's the good guy and, you know, Oh, the burden of responsibility and all of that stuff, which I'm not saying it doesn't belong in superhero fiction or in these movies, but it was getting kind of heavy with that stuff. And you kind of wanted to bring some of the fun back and to make it a little bit lighter. And also, you know, just getting off of, and the same thing is true for Guardians, like just getting off of Earth and, you know, not, and also it was interesting that the big, set piece was, oh no, we have to destroy the city <laughs> rather than yeah. we have to save the city from being destroyed. Like, you know, nice touch. Um, and it, it, it just, yeah, it just, it, it, again, like just seeing Thor enjoying being Thor is so much fun because after a lot of these movies where uh, Iron Man hates being Iron Man, Captain America hates being Captain America, Black Widow hates being Black Widow. Like it's, you know, it's it's nice to see Thor like like no, I am, I'm really good at this and I enjoy it and I'm gonna have a lot of fun and like the look of joy on his face when he's like, yeah, I get to fight the Hulk now, <laughs> like so good. And I will say, um, I do wish that they had kept the Hulk a secret in the marketing. Yeah, that this- scene would have been so much, so much more fun if we didn't know it was gonna be the Hulk. Yeah, I think that I think that. This was a case where, and I think Marvel's generally done a pretty good job of, well, I don't know. See, and I, I can't really complain because I'm the one who rewatches trailers a million times and watches all the little clips and whatever. But like, I feel like I saw most of this movie before it dropped. Yeah, yeah. Um, more so, and I do it for all the movies, so I feel like I can confidently say that like, I didn't feel that way about Civil War. I didn't feel that way about even like Age of Ultron or anything like that. I just feel like they really, a lot of the jokes, a lot of the big action set pieces I saw, you know, prior which, yeah. you know, maybe my fault, but I feel like they could have marketed it a little better. So it would be really cool if, like, both Hulk and Doctor Strange were secrets, you know, and they're on Earth, and all of a sudden you see that, they call that the sling rings, like the little yeah. effects start, and you're like, oh, shit, you know? And Well, uh, I, I actually didn't think I was going to see Doctor Strange in this movie. I know that they had the little setup with Thor at the, at the end of Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. but I didn't expect to have a full scene with him. Oh, so okay. when I saw the little rings pop up under Loki, I was like, oh, cool. But yeah, that was a fun scene too. Uh, that was fun seeing them. I mean, I'm excited to see that Thor interact with the rest of the team. Yes. In the next movie. Um, fun Thor. Yeah. Fun Thor. And I mean, he was pretty, at the time he was pretty fun, but I, I also feel like, I think overcorrection is the best way. Best way. I think you summed it up nicely. This is like a, a slight overcorrection that much like guardians is very funny, but still has the heart. I feel like they could have matched a guardians tone and that would have been fine with me. Whereas, mm-hmm. I think that I, mean, I didn't want this to go full civil war and be dark and grim like Thor 2 kind of fell into that trap. And I think that's why people don't like it as much. So I think if they could have even just like the if the in the third act would have maybe reverted back a little bit more to what we're what I'm used to or expecting as opposed to just kind of just keeping up with the jokes. Like, yeah, make yeah. make me care about the citizens of Asgard like, you know, but they, they're just a faceless throng and you never asked us to care about them before. And now we have to get them onto this ship like eh, why like yeah i you need you need to find a way to humanize them and make me care 
um, which is feels psychopathic to say, but you know, when I, when the other, when the rest of the time I'm caring about literal gods working out their family drama with like magical throwing swords, it's tough to be like, Oh, Hey, that guy in the green hood, he looks sad. Yeah. You just, it just, so I feel like they could have done a little bit better there. Um, and th- that's probably the challenge of setting these things outside of earth. Like, you know, I kind of have to care about them destroying downtown Manhattan, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Like you're kind of programmed into caring about that. So the, the scenes of extras running away from some kind of blob or, you know, explosion. Like, but this, it's like, I don't know who these people are. Are they, are they other gods? Are they just people who live there? Are they, what's the deal? What's going to happen if Asgard as a planet isn't the right word, but weird space island? What if it, what if it gets destroyed? Cause I don't care about it yet. Like there's nothing. I haven't had a lot of cool scenes of like Thor hanging out on Asgard, showing me how cool Asgard is. Just seems like a planet full of jerks who don't appreciate Thor. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. And I, I mean, I, I like, don't get me wrong. I really like this movie. Yeah, and, me too. <laughs> you know, I, I question whether like, you know, it's interesting to see this. I mean, this is the highest rated, at least Rotten Tomatoes scale wise, like Marvel movie ever at this point, which is best. Yeah. Best yeah, reviewed. Best reviewed. So. Um, I'm sure it'll do great, and that's good. I think that mixing it up is is fine. I just hope that you know. I just hope. I want. I also wonder if this is going to feel like is this going to stick out compared to Infinity War and Black Panther? You know, is it is it really going to stick out too far? Maybe it's a little bit too far. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I really liked it. I really like Thor. I want more Thor. Give me more Thor <laughs> and more Hulk because I really, I really wanted to be on the scene. I really hope they release some like you know in the whatever what what physical media do people use nowadays blu-rays yeah like in, on the extra footage behind the scenes i want to see like the non cgi version of mark ruffalo like in wakiti's there like all right give me your best petulant four-year-old <laughs> 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 no this Ugh, just like freaking out so i want to see a little more of that as well but um also shout out to beta ray bill on the uh, big statue in sakar hopefully we see him at some point favorite oh, of mine i didn't notice that yeah there's a lot of good that's a lot, there's a lot of good easter eggs with the canon and stuff that's why it's like for some of the things that they sort of ignored or wrote off i was like huh that's weird because you're doing this over here and it's really kind of deep and like korg and meek yeah Merrick, Merrick, i don't know um like they're from planet hulk like and the world hulk storyline um although very different characters for sure um but yeah so i i hope that wikidi sticks around and does another thor movie and, and is involved in the mcu i think he did a great job and uh yeah. i'm gonna go check out some of the, i've never watched his other movies i've heard a lot of people are just obsessed with him so uh yeah yeah i think that you know anybody who digs into his back catalog this director is gonna be surprised um this really is his first movie he's done that's at all like this and i haven't seen all of his um other work only only parts of it but it is much more in the comedy vein and in just the kind of, you know, small independent family dramedy vein. Gotcha. Um, but I guess, and, and I think this will be a good segue into news. Um, if you like his style of comedy, especially, I would highly recommend um, recently a movie he did called What We Do in the Shadows, which I think we've talked about on the show before, but it is a mockumentary style movie about uh, three vampires who are roommates. And he's one of the vampires. Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords is another one of the vampires. And it is phenomenal. <laughs> uh, it is that if you thought that the, you know, if, if you like the humor here and, uh, you will you will be pleased with the humor and what we do in the shadows. So, uh, can I use that as a segue into news? Sure. So, what we do in the shadows, which was, as I mentioned, a very good movie, ha- is apparently uh, a, new, a movie from New Zealand, is being turned into a TV series in America. Hmm. <laughs> um, which I'm a bit skeptical of, mainly because I feel like we have... Parks and Rec kind of finished the mockumentary style of television show. Like, did it, done, perfected the form, moving on. Um, and Or maybe The Office actually perfected the form, and Parks and Rec was just a better show. But there's also something, and this is a very good movie, but you get to the end of the 
two hours or whatever that this movie is. And you kind of be like, okay, I got it. I do not need one more minute of this premise. Like Mm -hmm. there's only so many jokes about vampires who are roommates and um, how you turn that into an ongoing television show is a big question (laughs) because apparently there are, there are werewolves in this fictional universe and they're probably getting their own movie called we're wolves. Like we are wolves because they're from New Zealand. So they would say werewolves like we are wolves. So yeah, good pun. But, um, (laughs) but it's not like this is a, you know, huge fantasy horror world where they're going to be getting into fights with other vampires and stuff. It's just kind of, I don't know, feels kind of thin and again, when you have a thing that's good, just just keep the good thing. Don't keep remaking just it. Just squeeze out every last drop, right, Greg? Yeah. Like an old dingy washcloth. And on the on the subject of uh, squeezing out the last drops of things and New Zealand, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe it's Amazon is working on a Lord of the Rings TV, ongoing TV series, which which they have talked about without any sense of irony as, quote, the next Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I'll say this. Is this a setting that could be explored in long form? Yes. I kind of feel like we nailed Lord of the Rings, though. Yeah, no, it, there were very few things that were like when, when we <laughs> adapted it, we were like, got it in one. And the Lord of the Rings trilogy got it in one. I mean, I guess there's some people who really dislike that trilogy, like heavy, heavy Tolkienites, Tolkieners, Tolkien heads. There's something there. I'll, I'll come back to it. Uh, like, but most people really like those movies and I would count myself among them. <laughs> yeah, no, they were some of the most successful films of all time. And I mean, I don't see how you, I don't know how you take those, how you do a different version of that. How you go and you 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 redo the Lord of the Rings trilogy? How do you change the tone? Well, no, because the tone was pretty much exactly the tone of the books. Do you just change the production design? Because the production design was great. I it's mean, gonna, yeah. it's not going to be any better. I can tell you that. I mean, you could take it in a different direction and maybe make things. Oh, this it's a little bit less ornate and a little bit more like gritty looking or whatever. But does that really make a better viewing experience? I mean, you could take out the. Arwen uh, love story that would be fine but <laughs> so now you shaved 30 minutes off the trilogy way to go Amazon you nailed it the next Game of Thrones yeah I I don't know I mean it's just like it. it's hard because in my mind like it's just such a I wouldn't say perfect but like the casting and the just everything just fits so perfectly I don't know what you would do so I mean unless they're saying Lord of the Rings in like the macro sense like they're gonna start adapting some side stories or I don't know, maybe more of an anthology thing, but they said Lord of the Rings and you think they'd be a little right. more purposeful because they know there's a bunch of nerds out there. They're going to be like, what the fuck are you talking right. about? Because if this was the Silmarillion, they'd say the Silmarillion. Yeah. If this was the Hobbit, they'd say the Hobbit. But the Lord of the Rings is a specific thing that people know about. And they could also, if they wanted to just say like, we're going to do a Middle Earth television series, they could say that too because people know what Middle Earth is. EA yeah. just made a marketed a very successful video game under the heading Middle Earth. I don't know, man. This one caught me off guard. I don't even know what to think. Amazon's doing some weird stuff, but segue. All right. I called it. Did I not? I, I don't know. We've, we've called a lot of things. What did you call this? Uh, Twilight Zone. New Twilight oh, yeah, Zone. that's right. That's right. Uh, Jordan Peele. Yep. Who, by the way, is doing everything nowadays, yes. apparently. I don't know how that man sleeps because I'm about almost finished with Big Mouth and Holy shit, that show is funny. <laughs> oh, you so you're yeah, yeah. Big mouth pretty good, isn't it? Oh god. It's so gross and awesome. And I just love every character in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, the the voice actors and the guest voices. I mean, I didn't know who Nick Kroll was, because I'm not really into that like sphere, but then I looked at him like, oh, he's the douche from Parks and Rec. Uh, yeah. And that- yeah. So that's that's actually the thing about Nick Kroll is that Nick Kroll is an incredibly funny writer and an incredibly talented uh, character performer. Um, yeah. But because in a lot of things you've seen him in, he's like he's 
that's like one of his characters, like the douche on Parks and Rec. Or, you know, when he had his show on Comedy Central, some of his most popular characters were like these Jersey Shore types. So he kind of gets lumped in with that kind of thing when it's like, oh, no, that's just like one of the many impressions he does. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that like Nick Kroll kind of gets, has a kind of a shitty reputation um, despite um, – and he kind of played a sleaze bag on – uh, sleaze bag kind of douchey guy on the league and but he's actually and you know I, i'll say again you know go watch oh hello uh on broadway on netflix and you'll see that this guy and again just listening to the all the voices he does for big mouth and actually like the way big mouth is written in a very intelligent very sensitive way um he's a lot better than he gets credit for i think yeah i think so too um but definitely not afraid to to be a little be uh I wouldn't say a little crass uh very crass um my favorite <laughs> I think my favorite characters are the gym teacher played yeah. by Nick Kroll uh-huh. um and I don't know his name and I don't I'm gonna sound insensitive when I say it but the kid who's like the clearly autistic kid who carry has like the rolly backpack oh yeah yeah he's yeah, like barely yeah. in it but every time he shows up I just lose my shit because it's just like <laughs> I understand that emotion. <laughs> Oh man, this show is really funny though. I I was like, I want to show Shay. I'm just like, I just think it's just gonna be a little bit over the line for her on just a lot of masturbation jokes, yeah, a lot of jizz, a lot of jizz jokes. Um, yep. So, but it's <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, so I only have um outside of those things two pieces of news, and um the first I'll start I'll, I'll start with the the fun one and we'll end with, on the shitty one. Great. Um, the first one is so uh. Disney's trying to buy 21st Century Fox? Yeah, so I was ju- I mean this story like is being updated as we speak. So by the time I get this thing on the internet, it will probably have developed further. But the story that's been coming out is that Disney has been in talks, which apparently have stalled as of the last couple of days. But they were in talks that are I mean it hasn't been turned off. I mean, it's, it, it's talks have stalled. That doesn't mean it's over. Uh, Disney has been in talks to buy 20th Century Fox, which is so. And, and this is, there's an important distinction here because a lot of the headlines are saying Disney is buying Fox. And to a lot of people, that means they're buying the Fox television network and maybe Fox News and all these. But they're buying 21st Century Fox, which is the entertainment production arm of the larger Fox organization. Um they're the people that make a lot of the shows that are on Fox and a lot of the movies under the 20th Century Fox banner. But this doesn't mean that Disney is going to own the Fox Network or Fox News, just the studio that makes some of the entertainment programs that you know are on Fox or on other networks or are, are movies. And what this, the important, important, bad word, but the interesting thing about this is that that means if that goes through with it, Disney will own all of those um, Marvel properties that previously only been on Fox, namely X-Men and Fantastic Four. Yeah, I mean, they they actually said that the reason Fox is entertaining this idea is because they want to focus more on sports and news, which is just where we need them to focus. Um, (laughs) But so I'm not going to touch on the monopoly to the discussion and the mouse that just the all consuming mouse. Uh, because you you can read that in every comment everywhere on the internet. But, uh, I mean, you can also read what we're going to talk about because we're nerds. But, um, yeah, so the interesting for, thing for nerds is that, yeah, like you said, they're going to be be able to have these properties back under the, the Marvel Studios potentially banner. Who knows? But my question to you, Greg, is, is how would you like them to handle this if this I'm, goes through? I'm honestly not sure. I don't know that you can make Fantastic Four work in the larger context of the Marvel Universe. Unless you go way out and make them even weirder than Guardians of the Galaxy, like real explorers of the unknown kind of thing, not, you know, Guardians of Earth. And like, no, they're always out in space dicking around on some super science adventure. And I also don't know how you make Fantastic Four work in a post-Venture Brothers world. Um, I don't I also don't know that the current Marvel Cinematic Universe is big enough to also contain the X-Men. Things are already feeling a bit stretched with Spider-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy and the Avengers and Doctor Strange and also Daredevil kind of off to the side like, oh, oh, and now we're just going to throw the X-Men in there like they've just been hanging out and we didn't know about them. I mean, I think you could make it work if 
you included some kind of where if you started your X-Men movies, your MCU X-Men movies, like day one starts after Infinity War or Avengers 4, that some kind of as, as a result of something of the Infinity War, all of a sudden we have triggered mutations in some people and, you know, this is the start of mutants on Earth. Not I don't know how you do something where it's like, oh, no, they've they've been here all along. We just haven't really mentioned it. Like Wolverine was just running around in New York, but, you know, he never his, he never crossed paths with Iron Man. Like, I think that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you you I don't see how you put him. I think that I mean, a lot of people have recommended this and I think I agree just. X-Men are big enough to withstand stand in their own universe and kind of hold it up on its own shoulders, especially if you're going to branch out into some of these other avenues like Deadpool and New Mutants and whatever else. So maybe just leave them there. Maybe do like a Secret Wars kind of thing at some point. But uh, I think that I think the Marvel's I think in, in general, Marvel might have to start embracing a multiverse in the near future anyway, because just the, the sheer burden of it. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen after Avengers 4, but they keep saying they're not going to wipe the slate clean or reboot or anything like that. It's going to keep on going. So, but yeah, there is a weight to it now. That's going to be hard. I don't see how you shove. And I mean, you could, if you, if they were willing to not use a bunch of characters, but like you can't have a Wolverine. that's not been a samurai analog since the late 1800s. You know what I mean? You can't have like a teenage Wolverine. Like, yeah, I'm Wolverine. I'm here to help. It's like, no, like don't do that. Yeah. I think that's, that's tough to do. And I kind of would like to see I could I can envision a version of the X-Men that exists in the MCU, but where there's only five X-Men, mm. you know, kind of original X-Men like it's just these five um, that this one guy has rounded up and they're kind of a, like a special forces unit and they've been in they've been in hiding or you do something. I mean, you're you're gonna have all kinds of reality bending nonsense with infinity war and you have them pop over from an alternate reality. But I think you have to, like you say, really cut down the character count and it can't be the way that X-Men kind of evolved into in the nineties where, you know, um, Xavier's school has a, you know, has an, uh, a class size of 200 every year and where every fifth person in the world is a mutant. Like that doesn't work in the larger MCU, but I think you could find a home for, you know, a, a small team of mutants, um, and yeah, the hard part is, I mean, nobody would be stupid enough to make an X-Men series without Wolverine in it, but yeah, <laughs> you've got this old guy and, you know, who's been around and at least in, in the, the Wolverine character, you know, what we know about him, you could, there could be a version of Wolverine who, because he's kind of a loner has just stayed out of all of the nonsense that's been going on in the larger MCU until, until now. Yeah. I mean, you, you could maybe make it work. Um, you know, and I think we can make a Fantastic Four work, maybe given some of the more wacky, you know, we've kind of a wacky streak. We've got Guardians and Thor now and Doctor Strange. You've got some weird stuff. I think you could do. I think I think you're right about having them be in a little more space bound, although, um, you know, I, I do like the way the Fantastic Four sort of sits alongside the Avengers, but kind of do their own thing. And it's an interesting dynamic there. But what what is what is really the best pickup here for me, at least, is is the villains. I mean, you're going to get Galactus, you're going to mm-hmm. get Silver Surfer, who's not, uh-huh. I guess, you know, not a villain, but you're going to get Dr. fucking Doom. I know, your favorite buddy. Uh, you're going to get uh, Kang, Conqueror, who for some reason, despite being an Avengers villain, was under the Fantastic Four property rights. Um, so a really good pool. And I mean, having like a legit Dr. Doom be like a foe of not just the Fantastic Four, but like the Avengers in general you know, master of science and technology, like, and magic. It's just like, yeah, I want to see that guy. Yeah. A Dr. Doom as the next big bad after Thanos could be great. So, well, I mean, it's, it'd be pretty crazy. Also some minor things I was reading about how, so Fox owns the rights to the first Star Wars movie in perpetuity, like the distribution rights. So Disney doesn't make any money off episode four uh, when it, when they sell it. Now, I guess five and six, the rights expire in like 20 years something like that but yeah very interesting so they would actually have the rights to that so um people were also saying that it'd be good to have the uh 20th century fox like fanfare come on before star wars again um, i uh yeah not, not to really care because who who listens to those anymore anyway since we're all just fast forwarding through it to get to the good parts 
But yeah, so very interesting. I mean, when I saw a headline today, I was like, what the fuck? Like, it kind of took me off guard, but. Yeah, and it seems like, it seems like Fox is probably trying to reorganize and shake off this part, the entertainment production division. And also because, I mean, if I was Fox, if I was the executive at Fox, I'd be looking at him and be like, guys, we are, we have been trying, but we cannot make these characters work. We are not making money on these guys. We should sell them back. We should sell the rights. Why, you know, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not one of the conspiracy theorists that thinks that Fox is like consciously trying to make the X-Men movies shitty. I just think that for whatever reason, they are not doing as good of a job. And if I, again, if I was looking at the balance sheet, I would say these things aren't making us money. And the mouse is over there and wants to give us a big pile of cash for them. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like if this, if this is one of those things where if both parties are interested in this, it will happen at some point. Yes. I think I it's in both parties' best interest. Yeah. So I think it'll, it might not happen now, might not be six months, right. but I think it's going to happen at some it's point. It's just a matter of working out the details because Fox would much rather uh, have the NFL on one network and then a bunch of people complaining about the NFL on the other network and really just make money on both ends of the bargain. <laughs> yep. Feed that, feed that loop. Um, yeah. So before we get to the last, the last big one, you got anything else? No, no. All right. So we can't not comment on it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but the biggest news is that everyone in Hollywood is a shithead. Evidently. I mean, literally everyone. <laughs> well, it's, uh, well, let's not say. I That's mean, not everyone. But any, is... any, any male over the age of 40 in Hollywood is shit. No, that's not true either. But a lot of, there's been, I mean, if, unless you're hiding under a rock, uh, unfortunately, a lot of news has come out daily of just tons of sexual harassment and abuse and rape. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just plaguing, I mean, major- predominantly women, but also a lot of men, you know, are yeah. coming forward now, young men in particular, um, that high-powered individuals in Hollywood have been exerting their influence in very negative ways. And, you know, for a while, I tried to have a broader view of kind of sex and relationships in the entertainment industry because – let's say you're you're lucky enough to be a you know work on movies professionally you have a much different work life balance than say you or i do you are working away from home away from your loved ones for months at a time in close proximity with other attractive pe- lonely people who are also away from their loved ones and you're also working in, you know, if, especially if you're a performer, you're working in a way that requires a level of emotional engagement and emotional intimacy with your attractive, lonely coworkers that somebody who works in an office doesn't have to engage in. So the idea of infidelity and maybe some just some different sexual politics than exist in other workplaces, I was willing to accept that like maybe things are different because it's a very, very different context. But when the line crosses into what we would call assault and coercion and, you know, rape, that's a much different thing than just kind of writing it off. Well, Hollywood is a different place and, you know, we can't judge it by the same standards that we judge a modern workplace. But I think there's a big difference between when you know, two performers who might, you know, have romantic commitments to other people end up uh, having an affair. That's a very different thing than um, what we're hearing about of these, you know, of, of, of what is textbook workplace sexual harassment that goes on. Um, and maybe that kind of strange, unconventional sexual culture that just comes out of working in Hollywood Maybe that has blurred the lines for a lot of these people between what, you know, what is and is not acceptable in what is truly a workplace. But that's not an excuse. Um, It's just it's horrifying to, you know, and every day it's somebody else you respected, um, somebody else you admired, um, you know, now Kevin Spacey, um, who, you know, I always got the vibe that like, oh, this is probably a difficult guy to be around, but uh, a fantastically talented performer. But now hearing that he has been such a systemic and unrepentant abuser, it makes it very difficult to enjoy anything he's done at this point. It really does. And you just, your heart breaks for everyone who's ever been subjected to any of this, especially, you know, I mean, 
Because when you look back and you see all the little like jokes and things, you know, about there's jokes in 30 Rock about Weinstein. There's a joke in Family Guy about a little boy being locked in Kevin Spacey's basement. And it's like people knew this stuff was going on. Yeah. And, they, you know, this is their there was their outlet was comedy about it. But it makes you a little sick to your stomach. Well, there's a there's a um, there's a clip that's circulating of Corey Feldman talking to Barbara Wall. Wal- Barbara Walters back in like the nineties. And he starts to talk about like, yeah, when I was a kid working in Hollywood, I would, you know, I was actually abused. And she basically tells him like, Hey, careful what you say. You're going to sink the whole industry. (laughs) Like, and it's amazing. Not only that this stuff was so endemic, but that for so many people, it was accepted as this is the way we do business here and don't ruin it for us. Yeah. And you have to wonder how many people out there that said no and just faded into obscurity because they weren't willing to play along. I think about, um, you know, I, th- I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago before this came out because I was, you know, I was looking at X-Men movies coming out and stuff and thinking about Brian Singer and he's been one that's had, there's a lot of allegations against him taking part in this like alluded to like young male pedophilia, like chain, like, you know, circle in Hollywood. And it's like, well, I'm just waiting for more to come out. Like, it's like, just like every, you know, all these directors, I mean, God, what what we didn't got in trouble for he's probably like oh jesus thank god this stuff came after me because yeah. I, don't, I don't look that bad like i just I was only wife. an oh. asshole to my wife yeah so the one thing that this has really reinforced for me something i've always heard and agreed with you know is that this type of thing sexual harassment sexual assault rape it's very rarely about the sex because these people these rich men a they could afford to buy sex from any any area they want or B, there is thousands of women who would love to, you know, I'm sure line right up. That's a terrible thing to say, but like they could probably woo in a more maybe still a sort of gross sexual politics way. But, you know, at I'm least sure you have willing participants. Right, right. Consensually get sex from uh, many, many individuals. But that's not good enough because this stuff is about power and control. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true that there is an element of sadism involved here and you know i think affleck is gonna uh, affleck is is in a precarious position right now because i think it's clear that affleck um has been kind of a shithead to women and i don't think at least again and i mean these things are coming out every day so i'm i'm i don't think affleck has ever done anything on the level of a kevin spacey or a weinstein but you know he has Brett ratner God. Yeah, he, he he has some things to answer for and how he responds to those and how he makes amends for mistakes he's made in his past is going to be a big part of his future in, you know, <laughs> period his, you know, um, and he's never been one to really been great at handling things so this will be an interesting period, I think. Um, truthfully, I, I don't think we can purge Hollywood of of these shitbags fast enough. Um, I think all of us are a little bit complicit because, yeah, like you say, like this has been kind of an open secret that this sort of thing goes on. But I think we all kind of you know laughed at the jokes on Family Guy and kind of looked the other way because it seemed like, well, even though not everyone's into it, it's maybe everyone who gets into it, like knows that this is what Hollywood is and kind of goes in as a willing participant, but that's bullshit. And, you know, a lot of us are complicit. We could have, we could have, um, chased these things down. You know, Bill Cosby was an open secret for a very long time until Hannibal Burris basically forced us to confront it. And, um, we are all a little bit complicit in not confronting this sooner, but, on the positive side, we're going to see a lot of shitty predators get what they deserve. And it seems like Hollywood is actually clamping down. There is not a lot of sweeping under the rug going on, which is great. No, I mean, Spacey's um, done, like done. Yeah. You'll probably never see him in another movie. Yeah. Or show ever <laughs> from the sounds of it. Yeah. Um, what's interesting, though, is that we seem to have forgiven Mel Gibson. Um, for yeah. Being much. He just he was early enough that, you know. Um, yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think that culturally we're using this also rather than just have kind of a witch hunt and feel our righteous indignation at, you know, ferreting out some dirty old men in Hollywood. Like we are using this to have a broader conversation about 
general workplace harassment and the things that women have gone through in the workplace, um, even when it's not a high-profile Hollywood thing. And you have to think that, you know, how many Harvey Weinsteins are working in your building? And, you know, now, truthfully, uh, Hollywood doesn't have an HR department, but, um, you know, a lot of the reasons that these women who've been uh, abused and assaulted haven't come forward sooner are a lot of the same reasons that the women in my workplace or your workplace haven't come forward sooner. It's very similar thoughts and feelings and being able to have a broader conversation about it and the hashtag me too campaign, I think is, is pretty illuminating. Um, when you realize that this is not limited to just the weird kooky sexual mores of Hollywood, like, no, this is just shitty men in power and sometimes women, but more than more often than not men in power, um, abusing their power and the systems that we should have in place to protect people from this, these kinds of abuses are often woefully inadequate. Well said. I mean, it's just, it's just very unfortunate and, you know, but it is, it is the for, like I said, the silver lining is that this is, we are, it is coming out and hopefully it will, it will result in some change. Well, and I think we also need to confront, and I think it's starting because you are starting to hear some accusations happening, not in the uh, political world. Um, you're hearing about, you know, congressional staffers starting to name names of um, people who have abused them. But I think that we have to keep reminding ourselves that um, Harvey Weinstein is losing his job and his company, but we knew all of this about Donald Trump and still elected him president. Yep. And I think that those things, two things are this, this, all this coming out and our current presidential situation are related, right? I don't know if this sort of the now weird reverse kind of positive thing about Donald Trump being president is I don't know if the spotlight would have been shown on this at this time in history. It would have been another 10 or 20 years down the road because people are being made more aware of it because they're seeing it in the spotlight, although they're not willing to address it in the political sphere. So is it a scapegoat? I don't know. Well, and I think that one of the things that for a long time, whenever a woman would come forward and say such and such celebrity abused me, the quick response would be, this is a shakedown. This person just, they just want a settlement because, you know, they, you know Jay Leno doesn't want to be embarrassed. I, I feel like this happened to Jay Leno. I'm not sure. Maybe I don't want to slander. Um, but... You know, and that was the big response from the Trump campaign when all of the women came forward after the Access Hollywood tape saying, yeah, that that shit happened to me. Um, I've got receipts. And they were like, no, it's all lies. They just want publicity um, or they just want money. But I think that the that excuse is getting harder and harder and harder for people to believe. And now that, you know, again, all of this Hollywood stuff, plus Bill Cosby, plus the Me Too campaign, like is making us as, as, as a culture, like actually believe women when they say they've been abused, which may help actually uh, prevent this cycle, break this cycle. We can hope we have to have, we have to hope that some positive can come out of it. Right. Yeah. So that was a, a bummer way to end an episode that started <laughs> off about a movie. That's like the most fun possible, but I couldn't not, couldn't not talk about no, it. No. So. Yes. We, 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 these are things that aren't, it, to ignore is to condone in some ways. Yeah. So, uh, you know, public service announcement, don't be a shithead. Yes. And if you um, feel like you're, and if you feel like you're skating up against the line of being a shithead, you're over the line. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For absolute sure. Um, so yeah. So do we have any uh, recommendations to send us off? It's not a personal recommendation because I haven't had a chance to actually get into it yet, but I'm making this recommendation for, uh, strategic purposes, I would recommend everyone go out and buy Wolfenstein 2, The New Order, because reviewers I trust tell me it is an excellent game. And secondly, um, we talked an episode or two back that uh, kind of narrative video games, especially at the AAA high budget level, are facing a crisis right now. And the more games like this sell, the more sense it's going to make for studios to keep making them. So it's worth a purchase. And thirdly, it is a game about f literally fighting Nazis in America. And it knows exactly what it is and when it's being released. And that is something that should be encouraged 
Uh, so uh, go go play Wolfenstein because I can't. <laughs> I have to move this month. I don't have time to play video games. <laughs> uh, my recommendations are to be on topic. I would recommend if you can track down anything um, by Walt Simonson, uh, any of his Thor runs, particularly Ragnarok, um, you'll be able to see a lot of the inspiration drawn and uh, Easter eggs and things. Uh, and it's just a great, great comic series overall. And um, but also just sum up with uh, to sum up the things we talked about in the episode that I, I think everyone should, if they want to laugh, a big old belly laugh. My dad wrote a porno, big mouth. And I'll leave the kids. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Leave the kids at home, though. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Leave the kids at home for both of those. Leave them far, 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 far at home. And also on the laughs. And to tie it back into Thor, uh, what we do in the shadows, as directed by uh, Taika Waititi. Great. Well, Greg, we are coming coming up on a couple milestones, right? We are. Uh, so next year, next episode will be super special because it is our year anniversary. It is. This show. It's like, oh, oh, we've been doing this nonsense f- f- uh, f- for an entire year. And I think we've only really missed like one week. And even then, I think we might have recovered. Yeah. Good so, I mean, g- given our busy schedules, that's, that's pretty, that's, that's something, to, something to be, something to be proud of. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll think of something, something fun to do. And, uh, then we'll, then we'll roll into Star Wars season. <laughs> Star Wars season. Good God. Um, yeah. We're just, we're unpaid promotion for the biggest movie in the world is what really what we're doing. Well, it really needs it. It really, yeah. really needs it. Otherwise people might not go see it if we don't, if we don't tell them to go yeah, see it. And then maybe they'll stop making them. <laughs> we can't, we can't, we can't even risk that, that hell coming to pass. Yeah. We, we won't get a Star Wars movie Look, every year until hey, we're 20 years past dead. <laughs> we we lived without them from like 1984 to like 1996. I we did fine. We could we can go go a little bit and then again from like whenever episode gap between episode three and uh, episode seven was. I think we'll be all right if we have to miss a couple more Star Warses. I can't let that happen. I know you can't, especially now because they're not writing dumb books about nothing anymore about blue men easy <laughs> all right guy well we'll uh, we'll talk again soon see you next week all right later